Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and gift mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from London, out of the country, at the Dorchester Hotel, taking your calls at 888-887-3837. That's 888 888- 88Peter, and if you can't get through on the phones, you know exactly what to do. You email me to peter at petergreenberg.com with your name, phone number, question, or problem. We will solve it right here on the air. You can also follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Peter S. Greenberg or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Peter Greenberg. Wow, what a week. Uh, did you stay up late on uh, on Tuesday night and early, early, early Wednesday morning? I bet you did. Uh, surprise, surprise, surprise to everybody. Nobody got this right. Nobody called it right. Uh, Certainly not the media, certainly not the pollsters. But it will have uh, huge changes in the world of everything, including, by the way, travel and transportation. And that's the election of Donald Trump as the 45th president of the United States. And, you know, the immediate questions that come up are, you know, what will this mean, at least in the travel and tourism industry, to travel and tourism? Are we going to close our borders? Are we going to restrict people from coming to the United States? Or are we going to take people from the United States and fly them home? What does it mean to the outside world if, if they do not want to come to the United States for fear of not being welcomed? Hopefully, this will all settle down. Hopefully, people will realize that uh, 
you know, there is no wall being erected in instantaneously uh, that our airports are still open. But you'd be surprised when you travel, as I do around the world, how many people have asked me over the last six months if it was safe to come to the United States or should they come or would they be welcome? You know, these are issues that the new administration is going to have to deal with, not necessarily just on a political basis, but on a pure economic basis. Let's go back to the what we used to call the lost decade between 2001 and 2010 and 11, when we did close up after 9-11, where we lost huge job base and tax base and revenue base and and income. Um, And thankfully, that has started to turn around around 2008, 2009, and is really roaring back in the last two to three years. But remember, we have a different administration now with a different view. Although the irony is the president-elect is in the travel business. He owns hotels. He owns resorts. He owns places that people travel to and stay in. How will his understanding of the business that he runs uh, positively impact his approach to travel and tourism now as the 45th president of the United States? Remember, it, it took seven or eight years for presidents in this country, or even longer, to understand, and not just presidents in this country, meaning in the United States, but world leaders, to understand the global impact, the global economic impact of travel and tourism, its impact on jobs, revenue-based, taxes, basically putting food on the table. In some countries, travel and tourism is as much as 15% of their, of their GDP. That is staggering. Yes, it is the largest industry in the world. So the real question becomes, how does the world now adapt to a new president where we are really in, an, in uncharted territory in terms of what the, the administration's policy will be on borders. Remember the words open borders? Well, without getting too in the woods here, what does that mean in terms of your ability to travel anywhere or anybody else's ability to travel to the United States? Remember, it's called a round-trip ticket. And of course, in the dollars and cents bottom line, how does that impact your ability to afford your travel? Will there be a buyer's market? Well, there already is one, thanks to Brexit. It's now cheaper to fly from New York to London than it is to fly from New York to Boston. Think about that. It makes no sense, right? Well, if you follow law of supply and demand and trying to fill empty seats across long-haul traffic, well, then it starts to make sense, and you can basically take advantage of that. So bottom line again, uh, we are now in uncharted territory. We have a new president. Uh, But in this period, between the election And let's say the first 100 days of the new administration, this really could be a great buyer's market. It's it's sizing itself up to be that right now for travel just about anywhere outside the United States. Uh, Within the U.S., uh, fares are going to start to come back. Uh, But outside the U.S., wow, buyer's market extraordinaire. And uh, hey, remember all those people who told you maybe you were one of them that if Trump got elected, you were leaving the country? Well, I didn't say moving permanently from the country, but it might be a good time to travel. Let's not forget the the uh, the folks in Canada and their website crashing down on the eve on, on, on election night with so many people saying maybe I should go to Canada. Guys, they have strict employment laws in Canada as they do in Australia and everywhere else. So uh, not so fast. I remember <clears throat> my parents saying to me back in 1968 that if Richard Nixon wins, we're moving to Canada. Well, Richard Nixon won. We didn't go anywhere. Uh, So uh, let's get real, let's adapt, but at least if you have any travel plans or want to make some in the next four to five months, wow, talk about taking advantage of a stunning upset victory by Donald Trump.
So something there. Now, we're on the eve of Thanksgiving. We need to talk about that. Uh, Are there any Thanksgiving deals available anywhere within the United States? We're talking domestically. And the answer, believe it or not, is yes. I never thought I'd say it, but it's there. And I'll tell you why. Travelers have finally gotten smart. Remember the movie Trains, Planes, and Automobiles? It was That comedy was made to celebrate the idiots, you know who you are, who travel on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which has traditionally, historically been the busiest travel day of the year. Uh, is it the busiest travel day of the year this year? Not necessarily. People have gotten smarter. They don't want to get abused. They actually want to get there. So they're staggering their departures, maybe taking the entire week off and leaving even the Thursday before Thanksgiving or the Friday before Thanksgiving, and in many cases, even the Sunday before Thanksgiving, so that that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday before Thanksgiving, yes, will they be very busy days? Yes. Will they be intolerable? No. And are there some deals available? Yes, there are. Uh, So you might want to check out you know, the search aggregators, you know, the kayaks and the Expedias and and also some other websites like JustFly.com, one you may not have heard about, uh, or, the, or, the, or the TravelDeal.com. They're out there. Uh, you're going to start to see some lost leaders coming up. Not a lot of them, but at least it's different than it was last year and the year before. Now, having said that, don't be an idiot on the return flight. Please do not come back on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Doesn't make a lot of sense because there's just not going to be a lot of space. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. For those of you who think that London is always foggy and rainy and cold, uh, here we are in November, and guess what? It's not foggy or rainy or cold. And joining me now is the founder of LibertyLondonGirl.com, Sasha Wilkins. How are you? I'm very well. Hello. Is it fair to say you're an outdoorsy girl? Well, I grew up in the country. I can drive a tractor on requirement, but... (laughs) You know, I finished my magazine career as a fashion director at the Wall Street Journal, so I can I can do city and I can do country. But I mean, the myth is that you know, London has no sunny days and that and it's always cold. Well, London for me is one of the most beautiful places in the world. I did live in America for six years. But Where? I, um, on both the east and the west coast, and but I missed London. I missed its seasons, especially when I lived in LA, because I think what London does beautifully is those four seasons a year. You know, we have the spring bulbs, a beautiful sign of green in spring. But the best time of year, I think, to be in London is in the autumn, in fall. Right now, we've just had one of the most beautiful autumns I can remember. The trees are yellow and orange. You know, you think fall in New England is beautiful, while well, fall in the London parks is pretty amazing too. So walk me through that, if you will, every pun intended. Well, one of the things I love about London is a bit like New York. We've got parks in the middle of the city. We've got Re- we've got Regent's Park, Green Park, Hyde Park. They are all a step from some of our biggest tourist attractions. And you can actually walk your way across central London via the parks. If, for example, you were in Notting Hill or in Kensington, you could walk to Park Lane, where we are now at the Dorchester, and into Mayfair across Hyde Park. And that's where the Princess Diana Memorial is and the Serpentine Lake. And there's some lovely cafes there where you can eat. You can walk to Harrods from central London across the park. 
But I live in Camden in North London. So I'm actually, I live on Park Way, which leads into Regent's Park, which is one of the old royal parks. And it is ravishingly beautiful. It's full of wildlife. I've seen foxes there. I take my tiny dachshund there every day to chase squirrels. We haven't you have a wiener yet. dog? I have a wiener dog, oh a very God. small four-pound right. wiener dog. But we do a lot of squirrel chasing. We're on patrol most days. Um, <laughs> and there is excellent squirrel action to be found. Um, I actually have a lot of American tourists laughing By the way, I've never me. heard London described as squirrel action, but that's pretty good. There is a lot of squirrel action. Yesterday, we were chasing squirrels in Regent's Park. And these American tourists stopped and laughed at me for quite a long time. I think of the activities they expected to see in London. Squirrel chasing, wiener dog versus squirrel was not what they were expecting. Probably not. No. But the other about London is let's let's talk about the Brits and their love for their gardens because if you go to any neighborhood in London in the back they have their garden Absolutely. We're all about us. The Englishman's home is their castle, and we want to have a bit of garden in that castle too. You know, Even apartments and flats here have their balconies, and we have beautiful flower markets like Columbia Road in the East End, which I would absolutely recommend anyone visiting, because every Sunday from about 8am to 2pm, you can go and buy flowers, you can buy beautiful pot plants, you can buy garden plants, but it's a great place just to hang out and watch people too. And of course, we have the Chelsea Flower Show and the Hampton Court Flower Show every summer. And they are well worth a visit. Well, Sasha, the big question is, since you lived in Camden, how often do you go to Camden Locks? Well, I live and work about 500 yards away. Um, so is it unavoidable? It is unavoidable, although I try not to turn left at weekends because it is oh, incredibly it's, it's busy. it's crazy on the weekends, yeah. Oh, it's insanity. And my top tip for anyone wanting to visit the market, which is in the process of a huge regeneration program, it isn't all kind of fish pedicures and sort of Asian tat, the stuff that comes over very, cheaply. Yeah, we very know cheaply. about the fish pedicures, yeah. Yeah, so if you look, there are now amazing companies. A new watch company called the Camden Watch Company opened up in the Arches and States. Market. Um, there's great vintage there. But go in the mornings. Go at nine o'clock for breakfast. There's some fantastic no, cafes. Well, just that, I love the little food stalls there. There's some really cool little food stalls well, there. Well, Curb London, who yeah. sort of curate street food companies, yeah. have actually taken over the running of the Stables Market. Yeah, the Stables Market food court now. So they've actually got a really good quality criteria. And you can eat around the world within about a few square yards. You can. There's also a gin distillery there now, too. Oh, and you say that with a smile on your face. Oh, yes. I like gin. (laughs) I need it to get through the working day, obviously. And since you're only 500 yards away, it's how convenient. Well, next door to the gin distillery is also a nitrogen ice cream parlour as well, where they actually make the ice cream in front of you using dry ice. So I highly recommend Camden if you're a foodie. So basically, it's gin with an ice cream chaser. What are you doing? Oh, I could do that. Yeah, okay. I'm just double checking. And and the dog is just watching during this time? (laughs) Well, no, what she's doing, because obviously her legs are only about three inches high, she's cruising for all the droppings on the floor, the leftovers from the shawarma stands. And, you know, she's like. So she loves Camden Lodge. She loves it, especially the chicken, fried chicken stall. She's all over that. (laughs) But go in the morning. But go in the morning. In the afternoon, it it gets a little outrageous. You need what I used to call when I was a fashion editor getting into shows, pointy elbows if you go in the afternoon or early evening because it really is my version of Hell on Earth. And it's only 500 yards away from where you live. But fortunately, on the other side, I've got Regent's Park. Which is delightful. A green lung in the city. So I have the best of both worlds. I love it. Sasha Wilkins, the founder of LibertyLondonGirl.com. Along in my automobile, my baby beside me at the wheel, cruising and playing the radio with no particular place to go.
Joining me now, hey, our return guest on our show, the editor-at-large for Condé Nast Traveler, Steve King. How are you, sir? Very well indeed. Thank you. You know, when we talk about destinations, and, and, and Condé Nast is always good at telling you know, the hot list. It's always the hot list, right? Um, the hell with the hot list. I want to know your list. Um, and, and, and what I guess what I'm talking about is there are mature destinations and then evolving destinations. Uh, one, a, a mature destination, of course, would be Switzerland. You've just been there. That's quite right. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, among the most mature, I suppose, in terms of people's perceptions, their sense of familiarity, their idea, probably quite accurate, that they know it even if they haven't been there because it conforms so beautifully to all of those postcards they've seen and ideas that have been planted in their heads since childhood. So, yeah. Yeah, very mature in that sense. Um, emerging ones, I've also just come back from... By the uh, way, most people think they know Switzerland actually thinking about Austria, but that's another story. That's right, and depending they on what... Just the, they saw the sound of music and think it's all the same. You know? That's right, and they're not too far off because uh, they could put one foot in Switzerland and another in Austria in a certain part of the country, and they wouldn't be too far wrong. And in fact, parts of modern Switzerland were, of course, parts of Austria until very recently as well. So what's changing in Switzerland? Because to me... I mean, we, we, we try to do our radio show actually once a year from, from a different place in Switzerland, whether it's Bern or the Jungfrau or I mean, crazy stuff, right? And, and there's always something that has nothing to do with, with the traditional perceptions of Switzerland. Yes. Like is- chocolate. Right, of course, yes. Or watches. A, that handful, yeah. Uh, no, absolutely right. Um, I, Switzerland's not somewhere I think about as a place that's likely to confound your expectations. The one uh, occasion I recall uh, a few years back where that did happen to me in Switzerland uh, was in Geneva, and I was uh, encouraged to eat in an Indian restaurant in the Mandarin Oriental in, uh, in Geneva. I thought this is an odd place to be having a curry. But actually, I think the best naan bread I've had outside either India itself or Brick Lane was in Geneva. Well, yep. Steve, I have to tell you something. My very first trip to Europe, I was 12 years old, was with my parents, and we ended up in Lucerne. We did, we did London and Paris and Italy and Lucerne. The best Italian food I've ever had to this day was in a restaurant in Lucerne. I'll never forget it. So it's globalization. There we are, in the best possible sense. Yeah. So, okay, so Switzerland on, the, on certain levels will not confound your expectations, but then why do you keep going? Because the expectations are such pleasant ones and to have them realized so completely every time is a joy. And uh, I think the thing that probably, perhaps the one expectation that many people don't uh, take for granted is that the country can be as beautiful in the summer as it is in the winter. I think our Swiss fantasy tends to be a wintry one. Um, By the way, you know, you mentioned, you know, the the curry or the naan bread. The last time I was in Switzerland, it was completely overrun by folks from India because they'd never seen snow. Yes. And they actually go to Switzerland to to, to roll around in the snow. (laughs) Quite right. Why not? Probably there are Swiss people who go to parts of India to roll around in the dust. Um, I think that would be a good idea, too. Well, at least it gives everybody an idea that there's variety in, in, in life. The world is wide. Okay, so Switzerland is still on your list and not in a seasonal way. No, I think this is the thing. I'm rediscovering the joys of Switzerland in, in summer. Um, and uh, that's outburst of color, simplicity, uh, the the downright wholesomeness of the place, I think, comes into very sharp focus in in summer without that glamorous clutter of winter sports. I'm going to sound like a really bad brochure, but I'm going back to Lucerne for a second. Okay. Every time I go, I will play. There's a little convention center there right on the harbor. 
but I will go around. If I'm there to give a speech or do something, I don't care. I will find a way to get on one of those boats and take a, a, like an afternoon trip to five or six different little towns. And I'm, I'm not just looking out and I'm not just looking up. I'm also looking down because the water is still so clear. Absolutely. Now, this is another, you mentioned uh, expectations. Um, I think people are sometimes surprised how watery Switzerland is. I'm still surprised how water obsessed this landlocked little nation is. Um, I was in the Engadin Valley. That was where I, I spent... Uh, That's where I saw the Indians because because right. of, of that bridge. Yes, yes, right? Right. yes, absolutely. And uh, um, what a lot of people are astounded by, first of all, is the amount of water in that valley. Normally we think of Swiss valleys as sheer V-shapes, narrow, faintly claustrophobic in, a, in an exciting way. Well, listen, they all saw the movie The Eiger Sanction. Come and, on, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's right. Well, this is, uh, I guess, how stereotypes are formed in advance of an actual visit. Turn up in Sam Ritz, though, and you're freaked out because instead of these deep, narrow, V-shaped valleys, you've suddenly got this U-shaped bowl. It's broad at the base. It's big enough for a, a considerable lake where you can sail and feel the Maloya wind blowing over from Italy. Um, you can kite surf. You can, uh, uh, you can live a sort of um, uh, uh, lakeside dream. Um, and uh, there are hundreds of lakes in that relatively short Well, valley. you know, you mentioned Sam Ritz. Here I go again with another food thing i have to mention it i'm not a skier if i ever went skiing i'd be in orthopedic surgery so forgetting that but you take the lift even in the summer it doesn't matter to the top of the mountain in samaritz and there there's a chef there named reto yes he has the best pizza i've ever had it it is unbelievable i, I wrote a book about it and I mentioned it. this pizza is unreal i would just take the lift to get the pizza now who would ever think of going to switzerland for pizza or indian food but you, you know what i think i've got to go five minutes back in this conversation and revise that point about uh, expectations. You, you are right. It's funny how food brings that out. Sometimes sometimes the biggest surprises do concern that. And your uh, Alpine pizza is a very good example. Mind you, again, proximity to Italy isn't a big deal there. And uh, you could tumble one way off the mountain and you would fall into Italy. <laughs> so you're not far from gelato or pizza and it should be pretty good at, given the proximity. All right. So now let me change gears here from Switzerland to Scotland. We'll, yes. keep, we'll keep on the S category here. Okay, yes. One of the cities that you that you say continues to maintain itself is Glasgow. Yes, uh, Glasgow is where I live. Uh, insofar as I live anywhere these days, uh, other than out of a, uh, a largish green rucksack. Um, yes, based in Glasgow. Um, Scotland is evolving in interesting ways, and I think Glasgow is a perfect example of a city that's shed uh, an unreasonable set of uh, stereotypes that had developed over. Uh, over decades, uh, if not centuries. There's a great deal of prejudice against uh, Glasgow, um, and not least among uh, the Scots themselves, uh, so long as they're not from Glasgow. Although I will tell you this, and, and this is an admission I've never, I don't think I've ever made on the show, I actually believe I lived in Scotland in a previous life. I actually do. Um, it's an amazing place to me. And I remember somewhere between Glasgow and, and Edinburgh, I was in Argyll and uh, on Loch Fyne. And, and there was a little hotel there, uh, for those people who've never seen the movie uh, Local Hero, I encourage you to go rent it, watch it, Netflix it. Best music, The Dire Straits. I mean, you can't miss this movie. It's great. Burt Lancaster's last movie, but forgetting all that. I'm in this little hotel, right? And there's a public bar and a guest bar. And nobody's ever in the guest bar. And I'm in a phone booth trying to dictate a story back to my newspaper. This is how far back this goes back. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on the phone booth, and it's the owner and his wife saying they'd like to buy me a drink in the bar. Oh, isn't that nice, right? I was leaving the next morning um, for an island, right? And Isle of Skye, right? Taking the ferry. So they finally get me in the bar, and it's like, 
quarter of one in the morning, right? And I walk in, and there are people with, with accordions and fiddles, and everybody's on stools, everybody's smoking and crazy and everything, loving it. And I walk in, and the place stops, and they start applauding me. I don't know anybody in the place. I have no idea. What's, and everybody wants to buy me a drink. I had no idea what was coming. I have no recollection of that other than what was later told to me. Because what happened was, after about five scotches, I was gone. Next thing you know, I was standing, I was told I was standing on the table with the accordion, serenading with Gaelic folk songs. Who knows? <laughs> There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Joining me now, speaking of tracking stuff, is the guy who's probably the most important guy here at the hotel because he runs, he runs the tickets. That's right. You want to go see a play in London? You got to go see Martin. He's the ticket desk manager right here at the Dorchester. Martin Brill, how are you, sir? I'm so well, thank you. So, oh, he's not even well. He's so well. Oh, my God. <laughs> You heard me describe you as the most important guy because most people think that's the concierge. The concierge gets you tickets and stuff. The concierge comes and talks to you, right? They do. As soon as they get an, uh, an inquiry about theatre, they, they just say, Martin's right over there and he knows it all, which is a lie, but they believe him. But you go with it. You go with it. Yeah. Of course. I'm happy to perform no one's going to counter that. <laughs> but here's the thing that most people don't realize, even about Broadway theatres as well as, 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 the, as, the, as, the, as the, the West End here. The theatres are small. Yeah. Really, we're we're talking about limited number of seats. Yeah, I mean, how many does a th- one of your major? You know- so they they rate. I mean, Phantom of the Opera, which has been running for thirty years, has is part of the reason it always sells out is because it's in a really small theatre, five or six hundred seats. That's Whereas, nothing. Yeah, really. Whereas Wicked, uh, which has been going for ten years, uh, seats two thousand. So you know the 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 range is huge. So what you're trying to tell me, Martin, is you can get me tickets to Wicked. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm just double checking. I, I can get tickets to most things. If, Is there a ticket? Okay, you know the situation in Broadway with Hamilton. Uh, absolutely, and I'm sure Dorchester guests are coming Ooh. to you asking for tickets in New York. Yeah, really. They are. And they're also asked, well, and Hamilton's coming over here next year as well, which everybody is very excited about. Right, but it's not the Hamilton. It's <sighs> a Hamilton. No, it'll be the Hamilton. Oh, when stop it's it. Here. But wait. No, really. But wait, wait. We all know. Right, and you've been around long enough to know that it used to be the other way around. You'd start a, a, a play in London, and then it would come to Broadway, right? So many of those plays yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. So you got to see the original cast, the real original cast sure. here. True, but then it works both ways. You know, there's such a lot of crossover between Broadway and London. So you know, sometimes we we get them first, and you get them, and then you get them, and then vice versa. All right. Uh, so the toughest ticket in town right now is. Uh, possibly uh, No Man's Land with um, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. Because that's the cast. Yeah, really. And everybody wants to see them at their finest. It's a masterclass in fine acting. Amazing. Plus, back after 25 years is Glenda Jackson in King Lear. She is King Lear. Uh, And I'm going on Tuesday and I can't wait. She's going to be (laughs) fantastic. (coughs) 
<laughs> so you know somebody could get you a ticket. Well, I bought them. I, was I know. I was I one know. of the sad people who queued up online for like five hours and eventually got through. Even you had to queue. Yeah, really. Sometimes I pay for tickets. Can you believe that? Unreal. I know, really. I'm amazed you've made that admission on the show. <laughs> um, okay, those are the tough tickets. But for people who are planning a trip to London, let's say in the next six months, what's on the horizon? So uh, probably the most important thing for me is Dreamgirls. The reason I say that is because I saw it on Broadway back in the early 80s. Was that Jennifer uh, Hudson? Showing my age, yes. Yeah. And it, it, it remains my favourite ever musical, possibly because when I saw it on Broadway, I loved the reaction of the American audience. It was so different from the English audience. So when she started to go, and I am telling the whole audience was like, oh, singing girl. Whereas in England, they'd be like, very good, marvellous. Oh, very, yes. very good, right, right, marvellous. So that was probably one of the reasons. But it is a great musical. And it's coming back. It's coming back. All right. Martin Burrell, the ticket desk manager at the Dorchester. I've just taken it from him. He'll stand in line for you to get you a ticket. <laughs> yeah, really, hey. of course. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance over. That's clearance over. Over. Roger. Huh? Joining me now, our luxury travel correspondent, as we say, our good friend Paul Charles. Paul, here's my question. We're at a luxury hotel in London. Let's talk about Brexit for a second, because I don't think people realized, A, it was going to happen, and B, how fast the fallout would be in, in the travel industry in terms of not just the value of the British pound against the dollar, but in terms of the number of people not traveling. It's caused complete shock, obviously, and because there's so much uncertainty still, a lot of businesses don't know how to plan. So a lot of uh, hotels, a lot of airlines are still uncertain as to how it's going to affect them. One thing that is clear is that consumers are holding back. They're holding on to their cash a lot more. They're not quite sure whether they should be travelling. They're looking for better deals in case they decide to travel at the last minute. But what it's doing is leading to people saying, well, just hold off for the moment. We're going to perhaps book something a little, little bit later when we can see clarity at the end of the road. You know, it's one thing if you talk about hotel room rates or airline tickets. But then let's talk about basic goods and services because it's not easy for a country in any case to adjust for the cost of a tube of toothpaste or a taxi ride or a meal out because that's what the locals are paying for. And so we're not talking about foreign travelers. We're talking about local goods and services. And that's where American travelers can benefit from Brexit Absolutely. because it becomes a buyer's market. Absolutely. In fact, you're seeing inflation start to feed through in the system in the U.K., but that's great news for overseas um, buyers. You know, what you're seeing across not just basics, whether it's toothpaste or somebody coming to stay in a hotel, but also if you're buying a flat or buying a house in the UK, you're going to obviously get a better deal because of the exchange rate. So what you're seeing actually is a British economy, which is adjusting. It's having to adjust. If you're a hotelier or you're selling a great service um, to UK tourists, you're probably doing a lot better at the moment because UK tourists are deciding to stay at home. But equally, you're benefiting as a hotelier from better exchange rates, which means you're getting more American staying, more overseas from uh, perhaps European guests who, who wouldn't have travelled before because it was too expensive. So actually, if you're providing a hotel or a service of some kind in the UK, you're going to be doing much better at the moment. And that's, that's the anecdotal evidence we're hearing. And then Brexit notwithstanding, it's just basic currency exchange rates with the euro and everything else. Let me give you an example. If fewer people are traveling from the UK, mm -hmm. take a look what an airfare is right now from New York to Boston. 
on the Delta shuttle. It's about $609 round trip. New York to London a week ago was $545 in coach. Yeah. It was cheaper to go on a six and a half hour flight than a 38 minute flight. Uh, the same thing to Portugal. In Portugal, TAP was offering a deal New York to Portugal for $799. They'd let you stay an additional three days and then you got to pick any one of 45 destinations that TAP flew to and they'd fly you there for free. You're getting some amazing deals. And in fact, uh, now more than ever is the time to start looking around. What you're seeing is some of the big alliances offering triple miles. Triple Avios, for example, from One World um, on some flights. What you're seeing is upgrades. If you buy business, you'll get upgraded automatically one way to first class again. So you're seeing these... Because there's space on the plane. Because there's space on the plane, because perhaps there are fewer business travellers, perhaps um, you know during the whole US election period, you've seen fewer people travel because they want to stay at home. So you're seeing the market open up. And whilst it's more competitive than ever before, whether it's an airline or a hotel, actually the deals out there are much wider than ever before. So that's good for us as consumers. Is there a downside to this? The downside is the uncertainty and the unpredictability. So what Brexit's doing is forcing businesses to think, where will we be in six months to a year and certainly two years' time? How do we change our planning? But businesses have always thought about that and they've all been wrong. Well, they've thought about it, but they've thought about it in the context of knowing that they would stay within Europe. Now what you've got is businesses who are thinking, will Britain stay in Europe or not? Will it remain a core part of the system or not? There's so much uncertainty. By the way, my understanding of that is, even though they voted for Brexit, they're slow walking this thing. I mean, they're not jumping into it. Well, it depends who you talk to. I mean, politically, Theresa May, the prime minister, will say, we're going to push the button in March 2017 on a two-year get-out. And at the okay, end, that's of, called slow walking it. Uh, some would argue it's hard because you've got to negotiate hundreds of deals over Which that two Which means it's not going period. to be two years, and you know it, and I know it, and she knows it, but she's trying to satisfy the people who voted for it. But put yourself in the position of a political leader from France or from Germany, and what you're going to say is, I'm hey, not listen, in a hurry a to do a deal. From, a political leader from France or Germany two years from now will be retired. <laughs> will they win their own Incumbency election? Incumbency is way overrated right now. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not exactly what you want to be. I think what you're going to see is actually, from a consumer point of view, more incredible deals emerging because businesses will have to be innovative to win the business. So whilst you're going to see more competition between airlines, between hotels, to win the win the guest, to win the passenger, actually they're going to have to offer better deals. All right, so give me an example that you may know of right now that is, that's not just dollar or, or pound-based, that is a value-added better deal. Well, I mean, you could look at an airline actually like... Um, British Airways and British Airways are offering triple avios to their executive triple club. mileage. Yeah, triple mileage to their executive club members if you uh, book a ticket before sort of mid December. So actually, what they're offering is something that for many uh, collectors of points and miles is going to be a, a much better deal. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. My next guest actually doesn't come from the Dorchester. He comes from across the street. 
a sister property called 45 Park Lane. I remember it when it was an abandoned bank building and the abandoned Playboy Club years and years ago, but now it's, a, it's an amazing luxury hotel, state-of-the-art design, I might add. And his name, John Scanlon. How are you, sir? Very good, Peter. Thank you for having me on your show. Here's a hotel that was in a building that was abandoned, and you guys have transformed it, I mean, radically into this amazing, cutting-edge design hotel. Yeah, we did. I remember it as a student walking past it, going down Park Lane, and it was empty for, you know, years and years. So it was fantastic for us to take this wonderful building and create this boutique Art Deco hotel inside it with 45 bedrooms and a penthouse on top. So it really is a beautiful hotel. You just said the key word here, 45 bedrooms. You're small. Very small, yeah, but beautifully formed. And like all the other Dorchester Collection Hotels, it's got its own individuality, it's got its own style, it's got its own purpose, really. It's a, it stands on its own. When you talk about a hotel as part of a larger collection like the Dorchester, it's hard to imagine a hotel with only 45 rooms. But, you know, I, w- I was at the Dorchester prior to moving across. I was hotel manager here. They, they, you know, they have the same DNA. You know, one is the product of the other, really. And they are striving to do the same thing, to deliver exceptional service, to have an exceptional product. You know how passionate we are about having great bedrooms and great food and beverage. So I'm at 45 as the hotel, as the general manager, really striving every day to deliver that quality, that, that you know, really tailored service that we want to give our customers. Every hotel will tell you, if they're honest, that they can define their guests pretty well. Is there a 45 Park Lane guest? Yes and no. I th- I, when I moved over there about a year and a half ago, I thought that the guest would be younger than me. And But in fact, they're all age groups. By the way, John, the older you get, everybody's younger than I, you. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I'm, 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 I'm moving in that direction rapidly. Yeah. But they're, they're all age groups. I, I think what defines them is they're looking for something a little bit more intimate, a little bit more, a bit quieter, a bit smaller. They're definitely looking for the location. But I, I see a lot of guests who come from the Dorchester and move to 45 and vice versa and move between the two and I think that's the beauty of what we have to offer as two sister hotels that sit next to each other on that stretch of road right across the street guests do sort of flip-flop between the two really they, they spend one stay with me then they go back to the Dorchester or they dine at 45 and they stay at the Dorchester so it's a wonderful offering where you have two very different products and choices what we see it you know when I even do CBS News everything else it the millennials are not really making the difference that everybody thinks they are no, no, you're not. Uh, the travelers that I'm seeing most often coming to me at 45 are seasoned travelers who've been traveling all their lives and who really know about great luxury and want to seek it out and find it. And, and can spend the money. And can spend the money. Absolutely right. right. And that's what I'm that's what I'm getting predominantly. Yes, I'm getting some of these millennials, but I'm, I'm getting the seasoned traveler that I've known my whole career, my whole 30 years on Park Lane. That's who I'm getting most often. You know, I like to think that the millennials are sitting at home with a Budweiser hoping that a Heineken shows up and it doesn't really show up. And yet the advertising community is always pursuing them. And I just it, it, to me, it's like I'm, it's not because I'm getting older. I think it's because I'm getting wiser. I can look and say, no, some of your marketing budget has to go for millennials because that's aspirational marketing. But it can't be your entire marketing. Sure. Budget. Right. 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 Absolutely. So you're not designing rooms for the millennials. You're designing rooms for travelers. Absolutely. People who want great bedrooms. I have the largest uh, floor space of any bedroom in in Mayfair in London. It's 600 square feet approximately with park views. Every room at 45 Park Lane has a park view. So big, big windows, big you know, picture windows that look right into the park. So I'm, I'm designing and providing, I guess, an experience, I'm, a quality experience that people want. Well, other than the view, people want space because the reason why they want space is they want options. That's right. Although I must tell you, the larger the room, the more I'm likely to lose stuff. You expand to fill the space you're given. 
hotel room size to me is not as important to me as hotel personality and hotel attitude and hotel totally conversations. Right. I agree totally. Right. It, it's all about the engagement and the, the, the sense of welcome and may, you know, the mind hosting of a hotel. For me, that's where my passion is. And that's what I believe in, you know, totally. We have a, a team of 141 people there. We're like a small family. Well, running that's a that. three to one ratio. It's fantastic. And we're like a small family running that wonderful boutique hotel that we love. And I have a team of hosts. So every guest when they arrive has a host who is like, a receptionist and a cashier and a concierge and a theatre expert and a butler and they do everything for you. So if you have a big room and you you know expand in the room and lose your whatever, the host will find it for you. Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want anything with a mind of its own? bobbing about between my legs. If you define a hotel by the little things, well, the little things can sometimes be the big things. You stay at the George Sank in Paris, you are surrounded by incredible floral designs by Jeff Leatham, who has done amazing work. And if you stay here at the Dorchester, they have their own designer florist. And that's Philip Hammond. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Every room designer at a hotel these days, they want to be cool. They give me mood lighting. Guess what? Puts me in a bad mood. You know why? I don't want a 40-watt bulb. I want a 300-watt bulb with a dimmer switch I control. So if you're going to set the mood at a hotel, give me light or at least the optional light. What Absolutely. you're doing, though, with flowers and with floral arrangements is you're giving people a whole different mood, aren't you? Yes. But exactly how do you create that mood? The mood, it begins with the season. So our guests can tell the season from the flowers that are in the lobby. So if it's autumn, we go for lots of autumnal colors, oranges, reds. Um, browns, that Fall type of foliage. thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, now you came from a flower shop. Yep. So you started at retail. Yes. Okay, so let me ask the retail question before we move on. Yep. The stupidest questions anybody ever asked in a flower store. Do I have to put these flowers in water? Okay, it's like asking on a cruise ship what time is the midnight buffet. What's the second stupidest question? Because I don't, I, I know, listen, I'm the brown thumb of the United States. If I buy anything in a nursery, I put it in my car before I ever get home, it dies because it goes, why wait? What do people need to know? The the key thing with looking after flowers is they do need water and they need a clean a clean vase. That's the key. And light? They need light but not direct sunlight. So to keep your flowers the longest, they need to be in a cool light place away from any drafts and away from any heaters or radiators. All right, so you have guests who do, who set their thermostats at all sorts of crazy levels. How do you take care of your of your floral arrangements when that's happening? We constantly water them, and it takes a lot of changing and maintenance to keep them looking perfect. So if a room is at maybe 30 degrees, we would have to change the flowers at least every three days so that they're always looking perfect. And if the room is at 40 degrees? <laughs> every day. <laughs> change the guest every day. That's right. But is there a flower that doesn't work in a hotel? No. I think every flower has its has its purpose. Every jar has its lid. Yeah, I exactly. Got it. yeah, yeah. Different flowers for different, for different things. There's nothing is there we... a flower that guests hate we have one particular guest that is highly allergic to lilies and when they arrive at the hotel every lily is removed that's one important guest so that everybody would... knows if there's no lilies then that certain guest person X is, is in here town. yes absolutely right. is there one flower conversely that every guest loves roses roses still, is the still. number one flower at the dorchester for sure wow 
Any particular kind or color? We use lots of white, lots of white, lots of peach, um, because obviously that enhances the, the color scheme of the promenade, which is our main focus for the flowers. But yeah, roses really are the number one. We probably use around 5,000 stems a week. So we're talking serious rose budget. Yes. If you are sitting next to a small child or someone who is acting like a small child, please do us all a favor and put on your mask first. I've been coming to the Dorchester not as long as the Dorchester has been here. That's been 85 years, but I've been coming to the Dorchester for at least 35 years. Um, and I remember uh, when the Dorchester was closed uh, at one point uh, to be completely redone. Um, and uh, that's when the Sultan uh, of Brunei took it over. Um, and thankfully, uh, you can't always say this about, about these situations, but thankfully they've, they've kept it the way it should have been. Uh, it, you know, it, it's so easy when when new ownership comes in to to want to put their footprint in it, or or or, or their foot in it. Uh, in this situation, that didn't happen. Joining me now, Nicola Messian, the uh, the hotel general manager of the Dorchester. I mean, you have a heritage hotel here. What do you do to keep it that way? Simply because you still have to be cutting edge. You still have to be relevant. Uh, you still have to be, you know, some place where people want to stay. Well, thank you, Peter. I, I think the, the idea, uh, and you're absolutely right, is how you you keep 85 years old of, you know, into your DNA. And when we look at every new project, we look at what's been done in the past and how we can reflect those 85 years into the future. I mean, the, the point is you've got such history here, right? You can tell how many presidents have stayed, how many members of royalty, the royal family, Right. We think of certain hotels in London as those hotels, right? The Savoy, for example. Uh, it's iconic. The Dorchester, the Connaught. And there's been a tremendous amount of hotel building and new hotels opening in London more than ever in the last 15 years. But the Dorchester stays strong. Well, the, the Dorchester collection um, has been, you know, is, is it really part of the game, uh, in 2012, we have launched a new property, the 45 Park Lane. Which, by the way, I remember when it was the Playboy Club. Okay. That was the Playboy <laughs> Club. It was. That was the Playboy Club in London, when it was actually su supposedly a cool thing to do, was to go to the Playboy Club in London. That didn't last long. And then it was also the head office of a bank that failed, the famous, uh, the, the, what was, I forget the name of the bank, but it was a huge bank failure. And then the building sat vacant. For so many years, then next you know it's Forty Five Park Lane with with Wolfgang Puck's restaurant, the whole deal, right? So yeah, so since two thousand twelve, you know we've we you know we've been investing, you know obviously uh, at the Dorchester's, we've been you know uplifting old rooms and suites. Uh, we have redone one of the restaurants, the grill, and every year we will invest into the project. I mean, we have projects until two thousand yeah twenty twenty on the pipeline for the hotel. And Forty Five Park Lane is literally spitting distance. From the Dorchester, I mean, you just walk; it's right there. Absolutely, and that's actually that's one of the you know a great opportunity for our guests is to enjoy the Dorchester, the forty-five Park Lane, our sister hotel in London, and also Coward's Park, our hotel near Ascot. Now, before coming here, you were over in Dubai at the one and only Royal Mirage, a hotel I know very, very well. But in Dubai, you know, they they sort of have an unlimited budget and they manage to exceed it. Um, that's what Dubai is known for doing, right? Nothing succeeds like excess. You don't have that luxury here. You, it's a different ball game. It's a different approach on how you manage business. Uh, but still, you know, we, we are investing into the hotel. We're investing 
uh, heavily for the next couple of years. Uh, next year, in 2017, we will complete all the uplift of the rooms and suites. And 2018 will be the year of the new bar. So no, uh, although we are precautious on how we invest our money, we do invest money into, into the hotel and we want to remain at the top of um, the luxury offer for London. I guess the question remains for me, for people who've never been here, as well as for the returning guests, okay, I'll, we'll, we'll do both. When they walk into this hotel, what's the one thing that's going to surprise them the most? Uh, well, it's, it's, we are part of the London experience. Uh, when you enter the hotel, you always feel a buzz for the place. Uh, it's, it's booming, it's buzzing. We are definitely a food uh, destination. Um, so when you come back to the hotels, there will always be something new in terms of the food offer. Could be a good menu or new menu at our restaurant, The Grill. Could be a new seasonal menu at the Alain Ducasse. Um, so yes, it's always something's happening, you know, at the Dorchester. And we do a lot of uh, events. We're actually based on what's happening in London. Example, Wimbledon. We will have a theme afternoon tea in the promenade based on that. Same for the... Chelsea Flower Show. We will use what's happening around the city to yeah to create something special and very unique for the hotel. And bottom line is, I remember the Dorchester when your menu was basically steak and potatoes. Okay, that's how bad, right? That's what that's, and it was bad steak and potatoes. In those days, British food was you know Julie's Pantry and Wimpy, and and then if you went to a big restaurant, it was prime rib and potatoes. So, so you know, we we have moved forward from those dates. Uh, and when I look at the prison offer for the hotel, you know, I, I would love to take you for for a journey with me, uh, starting with you know lunch at Alain Ducasse. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. 
Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.